I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be at today, but I want to begin by just um, expressing my gratitude to our staff. Um, I just so appreciate Elliot and Phil and Brandy as they work hard to you know, minister um, in just a really difficult kind of season of life. You know, it's hard. All of us are finding that to be true in the different areas that we're involved in. And so I just really appreciate them. And I got to say, I'm very thankful for each one of you. Thank you for your love for the Lord and your faithfulness to him. And I appreciate you very much. So how many of you like math? Anybody in here like math? Anybody at all? We got one, two, two math people in the whole room. You know, for the, for the rest of us who don't necessarily like math, we, we need a little bit of help, don't we? Yeah, I need some help. What's the matter? With my math. With your mouth? No, with my math. I have to do it. Will you help me? Sure. Where do you live? No, it's my math. Yeah, I know it. Where do you live, though? No, I want you to talk to me on the phone. No, I can't do that. I can phone someone else to help you. Okay, um... What kind of math do you have that you need help with? I have, I have takeaways. Oh, you gotta do the takeaways? Yeah. All right, what's the problem? Um, you have to help me with my math. Okay, tell me what the math is. Okay, 16. Yeah. Take away 8. Uh huh. This what? You tell me, how much do you think it is? I don't know, 1. No. How old are you? I'm only 4. 4? Yeah. Yeah. What's another problem? That was a tough one. Um. Oh, here's one. 5, take away 5. Five, take away five. And how much do you think that is? Five. Darling, what are you doing? I didn't mean the police. You know, who you call when you're having some problems makes all the difference in the world, whether it's your math problems or problems with your kids or your parents or especially problems with our finances. Who we turn to makes all the difference in the world. And when we turn first to Jesus, I mean, it makes such a difference. Um, today we um, are going to take a look at a story uh, from Luke chapter 9 which is a math problem, really, but it's a math problem that doesn't make sense. It's kind of illogical. But what we learn as we take a look at this math problem that only when we put everything into the hands of the master can he take what seems to be an illogical math problem and actually make it work. Actually, he can multiply it. So we're in this series entitled Blessed, and what we're doing is we're learning to let God multiply. We're learning to put everything into his hands. And again, when we talk about blessed, we're not talking about a blessed wallet. We're not talking about a blessed 401k. We're talking about every aspect of our life, our whole life, putting it into the hands of God and letting him do his work, the work that he wants to see happen. Because God wants to bless our lives so that we can be a blessing in turn to other people. 
And I, I, as we consider this and think about it, at the core, really, at least according to Jesus, is what we do with our stuff. It was Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so in this series, we began in week one by learning this truth. In order to be blessed by God, you've got to pay attention to your heart. And so we talked about our motives we talked about God being a generous God and how he, how he wants to teach us that, but we really have to wrestle with our motives. Then last week we took a look at the truth that you got to put God first in your life, but when you do, all the rest falls into order. It doesn't mean life is perfect, but we have a God who can help bring order into the midst of the chaos. But today is learning this truth that blessings result only when we put everything in the hands of the Master. Elliot, could you turn me down just a touch in here? Thank you. I appreciate it. So we're in Luke chapter 9, which is um, known as the feeding of the 5,000. It's uh, an amazing miracle. But what do you, one of the things you have to understand, and, and again, a, a, an important principle of studying the Bible is understanding the context and why this was there. So what's happening to the disciples, especially the 12, is they're trying to figure out who is this guy, Jesus. Okay? They're wrestling with that. They've heard him teach. Um, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him walk on the water. Um, Jesus has just recently sent them out on, on kind of their own missionary trip individually, and we'll see them returning to him. Um, they do so many amazing things on this trip that it causes Herod to say, who is this guy? But Luke gives us this story about the feeding of the 5,000 in the midst of helping these guys and ultimately all of us wrestle with who is Jesus. And so the miracle is intended by um, Luke to be this contribution to helping them understand who really is Jesus Christ. And in this miracle, we obviously see Jesus' ability to take something tiny and multiply it into something amazing. And we're going to learn that even in our own lives, we have to be willing to put into the hands of the master anything that we want to see God do something with. And so as we step into this sermon, I want to encourage you to think about what is an area of your life that you're really struggling with completely putting into the hands of the master? And we all have them, right? If we're honest, we all have those areas. But as we go through this particular story, I want you to consider that. I want you to think about that as we listen to Luke tell us the story and we learn some important principles. So I'm going to read starting in verse 10 of Luke chapter 9. You follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Those of you are online, you can follow along on the screen as well. But Luke writes this, verse 10, when the apostles returned, so again, they had been on this trip, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. And Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and find food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. 
The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. So who is the Messiah? That's what they're kind of wrestling with and trying to decide in their mind. In fact, Jesus asked them that very question just after this particular miracle. So imagine with me that you have been put on the Messiah search committee, okay? Your job with your committee is to figure out, is this guy really the Messiah? Because every Jew had been taught from birth that the, you know, the Messiah was coming. So you've been put on this particular committee, and you've got a great candidate. I mean, this guy can do it all, right? He can heal the sick. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead. I mean, he, he can do absolutely everything. And so you decide, we want to have a big Sunday, okay? We want to get as many people as we possibly can. Obviously, COVID is not happening right then. So you want to get as many people, so, you know, word of mouth, and you put a banner up, and you tweet this and that. You, you have this huge crowd of people so that the candidate can preach, and we can decide, is this the guy that we want to be able to follow? So you have some great worship. And then Jesus gets up, you know, he's the candidate. Um, he gets up and he begins to speak and he's, you know, preaching and he's going on. New time comes and this is great. But then one o'clock comes, he's still preaching. Two o'clock comes and he's still preaching. And by the way, the football game's already over with the first one at least, right? Then three o'clock, then four o'clock, then five o'clock. And he's just going on and on. And here's poor Peter over here. He's about to pass out because he hasn't had anything to eat, you know. He, he just, he needs some food. So... Again, you're on the Messiah Search Committee, and so you are elected to go have a conversation with Jesus about this long preaching here. And so you come to Jesus, and, and you say to Jesus, look, Lord, you know, we've been, we've been talking over here, and we think that it's time to dismiss the people because they're hungry. Now, this has been really good, Jesus. We, this, I mean, this whole day has been amazing. You've preached a whole series of sermons just all in one day. But it's been good, but it's time, we think, because, you know, the people are hungry and they need to get some food. We don't have any food here. So we think, Jesus, it's time for you to, to wrap it up. The people are hungry. We don't want them fainting. And so we think it's time to kind of end this thing. So Jesus looks at you and he says to you, so you say the people are hungry and you say, yes, Lord, it's all about the people. If it's up to me, you could preach on for hours and hours. I mean, I could do more and more, but it is all about the people. And so what does Jesus say to you in response? Well, verse 13, you give them something to eat. And you're like, excuse me, Jesus? And he says, well, if you're so concerned about the people, you give them something to eat. So you take a deep breath and you walk back to the Messiah Search Committee, you know, you're on, and they say, so what, what did Jesus say there? And you look at them and say, well, Jesus said, we're supposed to feed him. Well, you know, the whole committee starts grumbling and complaining because by this particular point, their blood sugar is low, right? They are hangry. You're playing like Betty White out there. That's not what your girlfriend said. Oh, baby. Oh, 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 Eat a Snickers. Better? Better. Hey! I'm up there! 
That hurt. You're not you when you're hungry. So, a little boy comes walking by the Messiah's Church Committee. You know, you're having this conversation, and he has one of those little Long John Silver snack packs. It has two fish and six rolls. But before you can say anything, Peter reaches and grabs one of the rolls, six in his mouth. So you have two fish and five rolls, right? So that's all that you happen to have. And so you get all the people into groups of about 50, it says. And what does Jesus do? He takes the fish sticks. He takes the five dinner rolls. He looks up towards heaven, and he blesses them. Now, imagine what happens next. So pretend now you're Peter. And so Jesus, you know, takes the food, he blesses it, and he takes one of the dinner rolls and he tears it in half and he gives it to you. And he says, okay, now go feed the people. And you look at this half a dinner roll and there's like, you know, 5,000 men. So there's like 20,000 people out there and he wants you to feed them with this half a dinner roll. And you're like, Jesus, I think maybe you should pray a little bit more over this dinner roll. But you don't say anything because you want to be obedient to Jesus. And so you walk up to the first person with a half a dinner roll and you tear it in half and you hand them half of the dinner roll and then you look back in your hand and you're like, what? And you tear that in half and hand it to the next. And every time you do it, it's like the roll just continues to multiply. Can you imagine how Peter would have freaked out every time he did that? And I think one of the things that's easy to miss in this story is that the miracle didn't happen in the hands of Jesus. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples when they began to distribute the food. And of course, we know the outcome because we just read the story. Everyone ate and were satisfied. And how many basketful did they have left over? Twelve. They had twelve basketful left over. And so... In the midst of this amazing account of the miracle of Jesus Christ are two very keys or principles for multiplication in the kingdom of God, for those of us who live the way Jesus wants us to live. And so principle number one is this, something must be blessed before it can multiply. Something must be blessed before anything can multiply in our lives. It must be blessed. And so the story teaches us that they took this food and they brought it to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus blesses it. Now, they wanted Jesus to wrap up the preaching because they didn't want to have to have, try to figure out how to solve this problem. Jesus just send the people home, right? But what does he say again, verse 13? You give them something to eat. It looks like Jesus is putting the problem on them, but what it really is is Jesus inviting them, and actually us to be a part of the miracle. Because anytime we bring a request to Jesus for something, Jesus always turns that back into an opportunity for our faith and trust to grow in him. See, my problem is, when I bring a problem to Jesus, what I want him to do is I want him to fix it now. I want him to poof do the miracle, you know, solve the crisis, deal with it. Jesus, you just take care of it. I want you to take care of it now. But Jesus often, no, Jesus always has better things in mind. The problem is most of the time we can't see them. I don't know if you've noticed it, but anytime God works, it rarely makes sense. But it always seems to work. And Jesus just wants 
like them, he wants us to learn to trust him. And so he always kind of turns it back. He always invites us to be a part of, of figuring this whole thing out. And so these guys get together and they, you know, they pool their resources. And so what are their resources? Verse 13 there again. Um, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy per- food for all of this crowd. Now, I think they're thinking very, very logically here. They see, as he says there, 5,000 men, so that meant you know women and children on top of that. There could have easily been 20,000 people were there. And they're thinking to themselves, doesn't it seem a little bit foolish with this little bit of food and all those people, doesn't it seem a little bit foolish to bring such a little amount to Jesus? So I wonder, were they saying it sarcastically? We only have five loaves and two fish. Or maybe they were saying it hopefully. We only have five loaves and two fish. Or maybe that they were kind of at the end of their wits. We only have five loaves and two fish. That's it. And it's not that their attitude doesn't matter. But when you turn to Jesus with what little you have, that opens the door for Jesus to work. But if you never give Jesus what you have, you limit his opportunity to multiply in your life and my life. And so they bring five loaves, two fish to Jesus, and his response is, that's enough. That'll do. See, if we bring it to Jesus, the amount is not what's important. It's who we're bringing it to that it matters, that makes the difference. Jesus is the one who can make the miracle. So he goes on there, verse 14, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Now, I think that that might have been a humorous picture of them trying to organize all of these people and get them to sit down in groups of 50. But anyway, we won't worry about that part of it. But he gets everybody situated, and so verse 16 Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. So it says he looks up to heaven. Why does he do that? Because Jesus knows that God's the source. But he's demonstrating for them and for us that we need to remember that God is the source. And then it says he gave thanks So at the beginning of the series, I said that there are two key words for this idea of blessed. This is one of those words. It's the word that we get the word eulogy from, but it's to speak well of, right? Now, he's not speaking well of the food, but he's speaking well of the one who can make the difference and multiply that food. But what they need to remember is to bring Jesus the first because He's the only one who can bless the limited resources that they have and that we have. In other words, in simplest terms, if we want something to be blessed, it has to come to Jesus Christ first. And so when we talk about our finances, the Bible is very clear. The only way that our finances can be blessed is if we bring the, that first portion to God's house. When we give that first 10%. We've learned he redeems it, and he multiplies it, and he blesses it. In fact, we talked about last week about how it needs to be the firstborn. It needs to be the first fruit. And the reason it needs to be first, because that's this act of trust, right? 
I don't know where the rest is going to come from, but I'm still going to give you the very first, the very best there. It, it's, it's this act of trust that we recognize that he is the only one who can make the difference with whatever it is we give to him. And I think what we wrestle with as Christians sometimes is we forget that the blessing comes because we choose to put him first. He's the one who can make the difference. Here's what 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what they, you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Why would God bless when we bring the first portion to him? Not just bless, he says bless abundantly. It's because we're honoring him. We're saying, God, I know you're greater than anything that I face. We're inviting him into the equation of our life because we recognize our need for him. And so we have to wrestle with the question, have I really brought my resources first to Jesus? So principle number one is this, something must be blessed before it can multiply, and number two is something must be given away before it can multiply. So this is a great part of the story. They bring the food to Jesus, Jesus blesses the food, and now Jesus brings them into the whole miracle, the equation. So again, verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketful of broken pieces that were left over. So again, you kind of think back to Peter and the other guys as Jesus hands them this small amount of food and says, okay, go give this to the people. I mean, how perplexing would that have been? But it says, after blessing it, he gave the bread and fish to the disciples and let them do the distributing. So the question again is, where did the miracle take place? Where did the miracle happen? The miracle didn't happen in the hands of the master. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. I mean, Jesus performed the miracle. We know that, right? He's the cause of the miracle. But it wasn't enacted until they chose to do something with what Jesus gave to them. Taking the five loaves, right, and the two fish, he gave thanks, broke it, and then he gave them to the disciples to distribute. He gave the five loaves and two fishes to the disciples to distribute. Jesus performs the, the miracle, but he uses the disciples to multiply it. So what would have happened if they would have just eaten that themselves? I mean, I could see that being a possibility because we look and we say, there's like 20,000 people out there, five loaves, two fishes. That's not going to go anywhere. I'm going to at least get my little bit, right, and enjoy that part. What if they had eaten it themselves? Jesus is always about testing and then about blessing because he knows they need to learn to trust him more and more. But even beyond that, he wants them to be a part of the blessing. And so the test is, what do I do with the first part? It belongs to him. 
But when I bring it to him in faith, he blesses that so that I can be a conduit of blessing to other people. I mean, this is what I love about Jesus. He could have performed this miracle like that, right? He could have put a Thanksgiving dinner spread in front of every single person who was out there just in an instant. But he didn't do it that way. See, what he wants to do is invite you and I to be a part of the blessing of that particular miracle making a difference. It's this principle of the funnel. God is looking for faithful people who put him first in their finances so that he can use those people to be a blessing to other people. And he blesses it not so that we can keep it, but that we can give it away. We can be a channel or a conduit or a funnel of God's blessing to other people. That's how multiplication happens. And so when we give the first part to God, he gives back in abundance so that we can be a blessing to other people. We don't give to get. We give so that we could give more and more and more. And I love this about this church family. There's so many in this church who've caught this vision. I mean, I think of Love the Loo. Just the, so many people in this church who just year after year have just made an impact and a difference through Love the Loo. I mean, earlier this season, we gave all kinds of things donated to Love the Loo. We just finished up the celebration of Love the Loo, and so many of you gave... I mean, it's just this desire to make a difference and see that God's blessed us so we can be a blessing to others. I mean, I think about the Rockwood family blessings that we're doing right now. I mean, I love the fact that our church family hasn't said, hey, you know what, it's just it's too difficult right now. There's too, too many things going on. We, we just can't help out with it. Rather than that saying, you know what, it is tough, but God's the source and, and we see an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. I mean, Panama is another example where our churches just continue to give and make an impact. The Ides ministry, just on and on and on. This church, so many have understood this principle and recognized, you know what? God blesses us, not so we can just enjoy it ourselves, but that we can be a blessing to other people. And the principle is so true. When we put God first in the area of our finances, He uses us as a conduit to make a difference to others. Blessings are to be given away. And God doesn't put it in our hands just for us. Yeah, we can enjoy it. God wants us to. But so that we can learn to be a funnel of blessing to others. Paul goes on there in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 10. It says, Now he, that's speaking of God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, notice this, so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So that we can be generous in every occasion. That's what God is up to in our life. Not so that we just enjoy it all ourselves and keep it, but that we are a channel of blessing to other people. So all eat, it says, and are satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. So one of the commentaries I've read said that, you know, maybe the, 12, the number 12 was symbolic of the 12 nations of Israel. And maybe, maybe not. I really think that it points into the future. 
I mean, if Jesus can do so much with just five loaves and two fishes, imagine what he can do with 12 baskets full. Imagine what God can do with a whole church of people who are fully committed to putting him first. The kind of difference that we can make in our community and the world, it's astonishing. I want you to listen to me read the story that Rita Springer tells about her little boy, Justice. She said, a few years ago, my son Justice asked me to add snacks to his lunchbox. When I asked why, because he eats a hot lunch at school, he said that he was giving all his snacks away to other kids in aftercare who were hungry. So I commented to him as the budget patrol parent and said, I wasn't putting snacks in his lunch to feed the entire school. But the Holy Spirit spoke then and simply said, buy extra snacks and stuff his lunchbox full, tell him to give away whatever he wants. So I told Justin he had permission to always give away whatever he wanted to those in need. And the sweetest thing as a parent is to learn from your kids while being trained by the Lord to show them how to become a blessing. And it's the sweetest thing to hear the excitement in my son's voice when he tells me who he was able to bless with a snack that day. Jesus uses a boy's lunch to feed thousands. And she said, I love the thought that justice is learning how to give away what he carries. See, this, this story, as I said, is an illogical math problem. Because 5 plus 2 doesn't equal 5,000. Or 5 plus 2 doesn't equal 20,000. Except when we put everything into the hands of the Master. And when we put everything into the hands of Jesus, he just blows us away with what he can do and the impact that he can have on others. I mean, I want to I live my life in the, in the shadow and the blessings of Almighty God. He wants to bless our lives. But to be honest with you, I really wrestle a lot with selfishness, you know, with the stuff that I have and you know, feeling like, well, you know, if I, you know, if I give too much away, whether it's money or time, or you know, I, I'm, I'm going to not have enough for myself, and I constantly have to allow God to work on my heart because I struggle with this. But He desires to bless our lives, but only when we put everything into the hands of Jesus Christ. And it really, at the heart of it, it begins with the stuff that we have, with the money that we have. And it makes such a difference when we choose to do that. But we need to remember that God's desire is to bless every single one of us. And so as we conclude the message today, we're going to sing a song um, that's just a great, powerful message, but it comes right from the Scripture. It's the, it's the prayer that an Old Testament priest would pray for God's people. And it comes from Numbers chapter 6. And the prayer was this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Let's say that all out loud together, all right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. I messed that up. Let's try that again. The Lord what is it? Make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
I want to pray for us, and let's just sit and reflect and sing and worship together about God and his amazing blessings for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are such a generous God, that in so many ways, Lord, you show us that. Help us to catch the spirit of generosity. Help me to be willing to open my heart up and and let you work in and through me and in and through this church, Lord. We, we love you, and it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.